Johnny, baby. Well, you got the wrong word. They said you were removed by a locomotive. <laughs> oh, Johnny, it's so great to see you. Here, let me light your cigarette. I'll take the light, but you got the wrong guy. I'm real sorry, buddy. I, I thought you were the guy I just seen in the bar. Come on, we're gonna go for a joyride. just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. Um, we've been detoured recently, so we apologize for that. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And we're glad to be back. Uh, just, uh, you know, as much as we love talking about a TV show from 50 years ago, uh, we had a lot of stuff going on currently that kept us from you guys, so we apologize. We wanted to be here. Just, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, it's been, it's been a fun couple of weeks, but a busy couple of weeks. Yeah, it feels good to be back, though. I sat down and watched the episode, and I was like, ah, like I feel like things are calming down a little bit again. <laughs> the summer's winding down, you know? Um, and this was a great episode, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Yeah, I felt like this is going to be more like in your wheelhouse of like the things that you like. Um, like I, I like the episode a lot, too, and let's just get right to it. It's, uh, the four of us are dying, um, and it is very much more... It, it has... Um, it's similar to perchance to dream in the sense of it is more stylistically different than like a straight ahead twilight zone story, even though the plot's simple, the, the style is different. Yeah. It, it, again, it's a a director, John Bram, who uh, worked on time enough at last and judgment night. Um, he came over from Germany. So he was also pretty influenced by the German expressionism of which we talked about in perchance to dream. So it's it's definitely got that kind of dreamlike quality to it and everything, and I really appreciate the look of this episode. Oh, I, I do too, and it's um, and we'll get to that more in a second. So for sure, uh, we'll uh, get into uh, let's see here. Air date is January first, nineteen sixty. So goodbye fifties. We're into the sixties now because um, I know we celebrated Christmas uh, three weeks ago in our last episode. So now we're on New Year's Day. Um, bold new world, right? So number one song. Uh, Frankie Avalon's Why, um, that does not stick around for long. And the number one film, which I think is kind of appropriate when we're recording this, it's Ben Hur. And, ah. and the remake's coming out this weekend, and it's going to tank. But that's a whole other, that's a whole other yeah. kettle of fish. Well, before we start recording, we were just discussing why they throw money at certain movies. And uh, that's a remake that I just don't understand who it's being made for. <laughs> the only thing I could guess is that. They've seen there's been um, a big return recently on lower to mid budget faith films. So I have a feeling that some studios like, oh, let's get back to one of the biggest like biblical movies that was ever produced. I have a feeling that's what their their idea was. But I don't think people really care right now. No, 
Yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to talk about no, no, no. This has been her cast now. It's no longer Twilight Zone cast. All right. So, um, all right. So the only things I found uh, that well, actually one thing I found that was interesting from it being January first, nineteen sixty, is that the Doomsday Clock uh, was moved back from five minutes to midnight to seven minutes to midnight. So the whoever decides this decided that the world was a safer spot. Uh, than it had been previously. Little did they know that the Cuban Missile Crisis was like like soon on the horizon. Yeah. So did, did you say two minutes a minute or five uh, minutes? Sorry, a minute? five minutes. They, they moved from five minutes to midnight back to seven minutes to midnight. So that and and so some context. Um, no, it was two minutes. Two minutes to midnight. It oh, was I'm at, sorry. It moved five. Um, oh, you looked up the same fact and I screwed it up. But because uh, yeah, I I only remember because I started singing the uh, Iron Maiden song. <laughs> so I was like. <laughs> Wait, wasn't it two minutes? But yeah, either way, it's a uh, fake clock that doesn't exist. So. <laughs> yeah, and that had been in that position since 1953. So there was a lot of worry that they felt that the they, whoever makes this decision felt that the world was safer as of that day as opposed to it was for the previous seven years. So it has nothing to do with the episode, but I thought that was interesting because every so often you hear about the doomsday clock. And then we've talked about previously in episodes about the space race and then like um, like the fear of communism. And all this yeah. other stuff. So it's like it's just interesting that they had no idea what was about to come in the '60s. You know, so yeah. that's just interesting I, to me. I was thinking the David Cross joke about the uh, uh, the terrorism alerts, where they change it from like red to green. You <laughs> yeah. know, and he's like, "Oh, it looks like it was raised to orange." <laughs> Wife's like, "What should we do?" Like, I don't know. Eat dinner. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. Like, it's oh, like, it looks oh. like they moved the hand of the clock back. Oh, I guess okay. we got seven minutes before we all die now. That's pretty great. Yeah. You know, so, um, so yeah, that, that was the only thing I thought that was uh, I found that was interesting uh, on that date. Um, so uh, you mentioned a little bit. Let's just we'll go ahead and get to the cast and crew. Uh, you yeah, mentioned so yeah. This episode was directed by John Bram, who we've talked about twice already, and he goes on to do a few more episodes after this. Um, again, like I said, he came over from Germany, so we're going to be talking a little bit about his influences in this. I'm sure. Uh, this episode was written, the teleplay by Rod Serling, and based on a story by George Clayton Johnson called All of Us Are Dying. Um, I did not get a chance to hunt this book down, or the short story down. Uh, I apologize. I failed everyone. Well, it says um, it was unpublished, so I don't know if it's out there. So It, it is like, out there. It is out I there? Okay. a uh, collection of stories that he wrote that ended up as Twilight Zone episodes. It would just be funny but, if the story kept changing names, like by written by like four different people. You're like, oh wait, I, I've tried to find it, but it's like I just I saw the story, but it's different now. I'm sorry, yeah. that's not the right story I wanted to read. Yeah, so he ended up <laughs> uh, doing the kick the can episode, which is going to be in the Twilight Zone movie later on. Okay, that was his. Um, and then I'll also mention the music was done by Jared Goldsmith, which go. I love the music in this. It's all kind of like jazz and everything, very film noir feeling, very hard edge crime. Uh, feel to the music that and um oh yeah the music well i I, it it is almost sad that we're going from the late 50s to the early 60s because uh as much as i love rock and roll and all that comes with it i feel like we're going to lose a little bit of cool with like the the jazz influence you know i mean i'm sure that's going to come back more as we go on because this is still an early 60s tv series but you know the, the the times are changing you know so it's like it feels like we're going to move away from some of that. And there was some really cool music in this episode. And, yeah. um, and I was also going to mention here, uh, this, this story was also the basis for, um, an episode of tales of tomorrow, 
which is another series that kind of ran around this ran around the same time as this that yeah. I don't know anything about. So maybe we'll yeah, visit well, that at some point. Wasn't that the uh, the one episode we just did recently? Um, was it the last episode we did? Probably. Probably. <laughs> it feels it's been like a it was while. so long ago. It was um, Christmas. Yeah, the what you need episode. Didn't they do that on that show as well? Uh, maybe. I, I know that there, there was another story that uh, was. You know what? I think you're right. Um, yeah, because I I downloaded it and I was flipping through it and it's like, man, the quality on the episode I couldn't even I couldn't even finish it. <laughs> it's just I don't know where it was sourced from, but oh my god. Um. um yeah. So. Uh. But yeah, the Jerry Goldsmith. That's just that's. I I'm tickled by that because like again I've talked about this before on this show and other things that I've I've probably rambled on about like there are so many people that have shaped the things that you love that you don't realize it and Jerry Goldsmith's that guy that has given us so much and oh, yeah. like and, we, and sometimes it's just hard to fathom how much he shaped our like our growing up and our existence mm-hmm. and how we love movies yeah um, one other interesting fact Nine Inch Nails has a song uh, called Four of Us Are Dying as an instrumental on one of their albums. And you stole that from my facts that I was going to talk about later. So oh, I'm no. sorry. <laughs> uh, I had one other thing about January 1st, 1960. Go for it. Uh, Davy and Goliath premiered. Nice. Yeah. So <laughs> D- Davy. Um, the, yeah. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. Again, it has nothing to do with the episode, but no. I was excited when I saw it. <laughs> um, well, you know, Ben Hur, David and Goliath. It was a very Christian time back then, right? And so, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, so we got. Let's we'll go into the actual cast here. Uh, we have uh, Harry Towns as Arch Hammer, uh, which who, is the name of my new metal band. Arch Hammer, I love yes. it. That's awesome. Uh, he also appeared in a, an episode of uh, Twilight Zone called Shadow Play, which I think is directed by the lady that was in the 16 millimeter shrine. I think that's the one that she ends up directing later. Yeah, um, I think you're right. What was yeah. the name of it? Shadow play. Shadow play. All right. I'll look it up. <laughs> I, I should have put that in my notes. I'm just like, yeah, I think I'll know that. So, yeah, well, um, as you look that up, on, I'll find it. Uh, Harry towns. He's most known for a two part episode of the Hulk where he played yeah. a character. That's kind of like the Hulk. Uh, shadow play was also directed by our friend, John Bram. Oh, there we go. So there we go. Directed yeah. this episode, so I guess he must have been friends with him or something. But I like that he was. This guy was a two-part episode of the Hulk, which just makes me feel bad that that's what he was most known for. <laughs> um, also, too, and you'll find this funny, Kevin, just because I like I like uh, weird titles. 1962, he was in a movie called The Tall Man. 1963, he was in the film called The The Littlest Hobo. So, what <laughs> <laughs> a double feature! <laughs> yes, right. So anyway, all right, um, and we have. Uh, Virgil Sterig, I think that's how you say his last name, which is uh, um, played by Philip Pine, um, which uh, I'm trying to remember who that was exactly. I apologize. Since this episode deals with... He's the gangster. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Um, I had to write next all the names because they didn't really, like say the names a lot you're right so i had to write my notes i put gangster musician boxer <laughs> good because i wrote down the names and i and i've kind of got lost here so uh philip pine was uh he was in another episode of twilight zone called the incredible world of horace ford which we'll get to eventually and he was in an episode of star trek which i know kevin loves called the savage curtain so there's your star trek connection for the week that one up yeah <laughs> um we have johnny foster which is uh the jazz guy that we'll get to in a second, Ross Martin, the most famous person in the cast, because uh, yes. he played Ar- Artemis Gordon in Wild Wild West. 
I thought that was the awesome. TV show. The TV show, not the, <laughs> not the Will Smith. I just <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed this or not. Not that this 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 is not as famous as uh, Wow Wow West. He was the voice of Doctor Paul Williams in C Lab 2020, which was the wow. cartoon that they took all the animation from to make C Lab 2021 on Adult Swim. Nice. So I mean, his voice wasn't in C Lab that we know, but he was in the original cartoon. Yeah, um, um, he was also in the Great Race from 1965 and uh one other twilight zone episode which i did not write down the name of oh i'm sure we'll get back to we'll get to that eventually but like, oh yeah that's where he was but wasn't artemis gordon known for like his gadgets and not disguises but he was kind of like uh he was uh jim west's like right hand like tech guy right on the wild wild west wasn't he more kind of like um or did he do, thought, did he do disguises I as well? I thought he was the, uh, the antagonist in the show. Oh, I thought he was like his uh, right-hand man. I thought he was kind of like his Watson to Jim West's Holmes or whatever. So uh, I've uh, never seen the Wild Wild West yeah, other than the animated yeah, intro. Was, he was uh, Jim West Desperado's uh, right-hand man. <laughs> Sorry, I, Will Smith, just in my head. Do you, I mean, like, is it the, the rap song? Is that what got stuck in your head is the Wild Wild yeah, West song? Just, uh, Jim West Desperado. <laughs> Um, so no um but no like all i remember about the wild wild west tv show is the animated intro and i was really excited for that as a kid and then i realized it's a tv show and i'd stop watching it i don't know that that was me um so we have uh uh the character andy marshak uh don gordon is the actor's name um he uh was also an episode of twilight zone so there's a lot of a lot of things that happen here that go on later in twilight zone the self-improvement of salvador ross um, and also, he appeared in an episode of The Dukes of Hazard, so I just wanted to put the, point that out as well. So and I got three really amazing films he was in: Exorcist Three, which some days might be my favorite in the Exorcist series. Um, he was in an incredible film uh, that I own a T-shirt for called Beast Within, oh, about, a, about that the, the kid that turns into, into a locust. Yeah, 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 that oh, movie's freaky. Yeah, that's yeah. a great film. And then he was in Bullet with uh, Steve McQueen. Uh, McQueen yeah. and Papillon as well with Steve McQueen. So yeah, he was he was kind of a cool little uh, genre actor in the seventies and like early eighties and stuff. So okay. I was kind of excited. I knew his face and I I couldn't place it. I think it's Exorcist Three that I was recognizing him from just because I've seen that movie so many times. Exorcist Three is the one with that real quick shot of the guy going after the nun right in the hallway. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it, it, that is freaky! Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very bizarre entry into the series, but I it's it's it, it's getting the love now that it deserves. <laughs> For a long time, like people looked at any of those sequels as just being jokes, and finally, uh, even Exorcist Two has certain aspects I really love about it. All right, yeah, you can tune into Radio Violenta. <laughs> we talk about a lot of that stuff. So yeah, I, I'm looking forward to your guys' review of all, all three Exorcist movies soon. That'll be great. Um, so <laughs> uh, I'm not just planning ideas for what you guys should cover, but you should do that. Um, so we got uh, Mr. Marshak as uh, his name, the actor's name. Peter uh, Bracco, uh, also in Star Trek, because I kind of keep bringing that up. Um, he was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Throw Mama from the Train, the cinematic masterpiece that that is. Yeah, um, I, I was flipping through his stuff. I saw he was in a Twilight Zone movie and one other episode of Twilight Zone, but I 
this man has 286 acting credits. <laughs> like that is insane. What a career. Yeah. Like I he was in Spartacus. Like it, the list is just incredible. I just stopped going and I just typed in my notes 286 credits all in capital. <laughs> he was like, the father of the boxer, right? That's the yeah, guy and he yes. he had a very distinct face, you know. Yeah, so and like that, probably yeah. the best actor in this episode. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, then we have the detective that's in it for a second. His name's Milton Fromm. Only reason I'm bringing him up is because he was in the Batman 66 series, which ah, I feel like is heavily influenced by what we're going to talk about directing wise in this episode. Cause the first half of it felt like a Batman episode. Um, just the way that just the way it looked. <laughs> um, and, and then we have Maggie who was the girl in the bar, um, Beverly Garland. Uh, she was also in wild, wild west. um, and she was in the in Friends. Uh, I, I don't know why she was in Friends, but she was in Friends. And she was also a voice uh, in the Angry Beavers cartoon, if you remember that. Um, huh. And her sure. last film, and I feel really bad for saying this, her last film before she passed away was Christmas Vacation Two. Oh, <laughs> that's not how you want to go out. No, no, <laughs> no. I'm not even an actor, and I wouldn't have wanted to. Go out. Um, so I thought that was interesting that she was in just like like more recent stuff and then you know out, but uh, but yeah. So that's your cast, unless you have other other uh, cast that no. um, yeah. Um, so I, I think there were like two other people in this episode. It was a pretty small <laughs> cast, so yeah. Um, I think we've covered them. Okay, <laughs> all right. So let's just go and, and get to what Sterling has to say. Then we'll talk about the episode. His name is Arch Hammer. He's thirty six years old. He's been a salesman, a dispatcher, a truck driver, a con man, a bookie, and a part-time bartender. This is a cheap man, a nickel and dime man, with a cheapness that goes past the suit and the shirt. A cheapness of mind, a cheapness of taste, a tawdry little shine on the seat of his conscience, and a dark room squint at a world whose sunlight has never gotten through to him. But Mr. Hammer has a talent discovered at a very early age. This much he does have. He can make his face change. He can twitch a muscle, move a jaw, concentrate on the cast of his eyes, and he can change his face. He can change it into anything he wants. Mr. Archie Hammer, jack of all trades, has just checked in at 3.80 a night with two bags, some newspaper clippings, a most odd talent, and a master plan to destroy some lives. I feel like Rod Serling really, really just wanted to go to a jazz club and read, like, spoken word poetry. Yeah, that was, like, ten minutes. (laughs) I fell asleep twice during it. Uh, Yeah. Uh, he he gives uh, Arch Hammer a little bit too much credit saying that he has a master plan. Yeah, this guy was very dumb. Yeah, this guy had no plan other than just getting money, I guess. I, I don't know. I wrote down in my notes, I have no idea what the end game is of this. <laughs> you know? um, You're so right. I guess we'll get into the plot and then we can talk about that kind of stuff. But we got Arch Hammer who is a man, he can kind of change his face to look like anyone he wants to. And, uh, of course, being a Twilight Zone, he uses that talent or that, uh, I, I guess, uh, ability to 
con people out of money, uh, con people out of love, you know, <laughs> anything he needs to do. So it, the episode kind of breaks up in a few different segments. The first segment, uh, he impersonates a trumpeter by the name of Johnny Foster. And uh, he goes out, into the Johnny club. Johnny Foster. Yeah, he goes into the club to steal his girlfriend, who is Maggie. Um, which, when we get to the club, she is singing. And I was trying to figure out what song that was, because it was an amazing song. And her voice was incredible. And I, I didn't know if it was actually her singing or not, but uh, really good stuff. Yeah, it makes you kind of miss like the idea of walking into a bar and having just that going off in the corner as opposed to... I mean, I know you're a musician and you play in a band, but you play things that are a little louder than just like a, you know upright bass and a piano. Like, well, we have like, an upright bass. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, do you have any wicked piano solos in your band? I don't know. Uh, but uh, are sultry, jazzy tunes? Um, yeah, no. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like that, the music was like just that whole bit where I it just it was um, I'm not the biggest jazz fan, but it was just really just like scratching an itch li- just like with all that because it just felt very like of its time. And I loved it. Uh, let me know if you need any jazz classes. Uh, I got tons of jazz. Nice. Yeah, I'm a pretty big jazz fan. Um, but yeah, so his his first con that he's going to do is steal uh johnny foster's girlfriend so um he pretty much goes in and this is where i wrote down what is the end game because he goes in he's like oh you're gonna run away with me and everything and he was supposed to have died uh was he hit by a train or something something horrible yeah yeah and he comes back and he's like no it was somebody that looked like me it wasn't (laughs) me i just changed my name and said i died and so I'm like, what is the end game with this? Like, how are you going to keep this charade up that long? Like, well, how, like she's going to figure <laughs> out that you don't know anything about her at some point, you know? <laughs> well, two things that are odd about that. One, did you notice that the newspaper clippings on on the bed of the hotel room were of just him, of Johnny Foster, and the other Mark later, the gangster, and it's six clippings total, but it's three each of them. Oh, okay. And it's like... Why would you cut this article out three times? Like that just felt really weird to me, and it's like. But I also Maybe know that there were different newspapers that had different information. Guess what? You'll see. It's the same photo. It's the same. It's the same article, okay. right? All and, right. I was I was trying to give the benefit of the doubt. But. The only thing I can think of is that production wise, they're making this show. They're like, people aren't going to notice this. This is real quick. We'll never be in a position where someone can pause this and look at it. Never, never, never. <laughs> and that's what happened there. And then also too. Whenever this guy takes the, like, he can look like somebody, which we skipped over during the Surly intro, how he was shaving, looking in a mirror, and the camera cut over to a different person shaving. Like, it was a very easy trick of having no mirror there and having an actor there, but it was a cool shot. It was a really cool shot. Um, Yeah, there's there's a lot of very simple but effective... uh uh, techniques that they use when they switch actors, which I found out they were going to use the same actor and put uh, makeup on him every time to make him look different. Um, but they figured it was easier just to get other actors to play all the different characters, and, and that makes sense. And I, like, okay, so and my- at this time it would not have worked well. Like, you know, the makeup wouldn't have been that good. You know, it, like, <laughs> like a I big feel rubber like nose. Another actor works. <laughs> right um, i'm all for it <laughs> like he just wears a different hat he's like no i'm i'm a jazz guy now i'm a gangster a it's a different hat. mustache on like <laughs> um now i have sideburns yeah um so I, I okay if i if if i will buy into the conceit that he can make himself look like anybody else that's fine 
There's yeah. nothing saying that he can sound like them or know anything about their past, other than yeah, the newspaper that, clippings. That's the biggest issue um, that I had with this is just like if all he has is one newspaper article, or even three, if we want to play into that, those were supposed to be different uh, articles. <laughs> like, how much do you really learn about somebody in a, a obituary or like a write up in a newspaper like that about their death? You know, like they yeah. usually give the age. And, like, a quick sentence on them. Like, how would you go long enough to, like, you know, have any sort of endgame? And, like, the next con that he goes into, he goes and meets uh, Mr. Pinnell, who is a gangster of some sort. I don't know. It's just your uh, average gangster. (laughs) And uh, he goes in looking like Virgil Sterig, who was a gangster that they had killed and... Uh, dropped in the river and shot three times in the stomach or something, I think he said. And uh, he goes there to get the money that this Virgil was supposed to have received before they turned and shot him. And it was just like, how did you learn all of that out of the newspaper? (laughs) (laughs) That's where it really got Because, you know, like, I guess you could get away with it just by the shock factor and the little bit of time you spend with Maggie. You know, like, she was just in shock the whole time he was speaking to her, so he could have said anything and she would have been buying it. But, you know, like, I I, I don't know if these hardened gangsters are really going to (laughs) put up with that. Like, how would you know enough to even extort money from the mob? Yeah, I feel like, so, it... It would have been stronger, and again, I know we're looking at this with like a past eye towards information collecting and and also just like structure story, right? It would have been stronger if you would have gotten the, the notion that this guy was really good at making the person like speak out exactly what they wanted, and he was like, oh yeah, this, and like kind of feeding off of it, almost like a, and this is not the best example, but like a John Lovitz, like yeah, that's the ticket kind of way. Like, um, like with the gangster, if he'd been like, oh, we left you at the bottom of that river with three slugs in your gut, he'd be like, yeah, and it was cold and I got out. Like that would have been way more appropriate to have them speak their fears or desires and him just roll with it, which is what happened later on with the father he runs into, um, kind of, you know? So it's like, it felt like yeah. they got that right, but then the first two, they didn't, you know? So, yeah, well, um. I guess the story, this uh, George Clayton Johnson story, the guy really doesn't change his appearance. It's all based on perception and what uh, situation the people are seeing him are in. Okay. So, like, that seems a lot more based in reality than this. And again, this is Twilight Zone, and I kind of like that it goes the more uh, whimsical direction with it, you know. Uh, but I am I am interested. I'm going to try and catch up with this at some point, just because I'm interested to see the story based more or grounded more in reality. So speaking of reality, how did you feel about the hotel call being called Hotel Real? Because I'm sure that's what it was yeah. actually pronounced as. But it was this a Hotel Real? So as you meet Mr. Uh, Archie Hammer, he's walking through. It's, it's a soundstage, and it's clear to see it's a soundstage. It's very artistic, but it's all these different hanging neon signs to imply that this is a busy city and a busy nightlife and I loved it I loved it loved it loved it but then he goes to the Hotel Real and I'm like that's too on the nose it felt really like it should have been like Hotel Four Face Man like that would have been almost <laughs> more than you know like and it was really I mean I get that it was kind of being like 
I mean, it makes sense, but it felt like it was a bit much, you know? Like, yeah, I thought it was fun. I didn't have an issue with it. <laughs> but I loved all the Dutch angles of him walking around with all the neon, and that's what made me feel like Batman 66. That yeah. felt very like, this is this like hyper reality of this guy who can change his face, and he's a bad guy. And, he, and, and also, by the way, this is back-to-back weeks where Rod Serling really hates his main character. Oh, yeah, he hates Arch Hammer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this this gave him the same feel as, like, uh, how they shot the carnival in Perchance the Dream. Yeah. You know, you got very off-putting shots and everything, and uh, kind of scenes uh, fading in and out on each other as he's walking. So it, it's really disorienting. Yeah. And so I, I will give credit to, even though it doesn't make sense, uh, after he is as, as he as he is Johnny talking to Meg, uh, or Maggie, not Meg, that's Family Guy. As he's talking to Maggie um, about coming back, you know, like not being killed, and she's all distraught. And I, I just got to point out that I love I love the line that he said to her about uh, "morning becomes you, Meg," because I guess he called her Meg. Um, but it's like that was a great line. He's just like, he's such a he's just trying to smooth her over. But he's such a creep, and I just loved that line. It was just a fun line, just to be like, "Oh, you're distraught, but like you just, I, I want you more now." And then, yeah. and then to go on further, Rod Sterling again leaves a woman at a train slash bus station without resolution. Oh. It's, it's so depressing. <laughs> uh, I also, when he was talking to the gangster in the second little vignette, there he. Uh, <laughs> He said, if you're so happy to see me, how come you look like somebody just uh, just uh, stuck lemon juice in your beer? Yeah. And I wrote down, he just invented a lemon shandy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah. it's like, I just like, I don't know what Rod Sterling, it makes me feel like he got left at the bus station once by a love of his life. And he's just like, he's just taking it out in his, his story. It wasn't writing. actually her. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, but you're right. Like, ultimately, like, it's. It's more, and I, I guess we'll get to the end here in a second. This is more of a morality play in terms of a bad guy wanting everything that he wants, and he doesn't care who he has to hurt to get what he wants. Um, and I get that, uh, so I'm, I'm okay with that, and I love the stylization of it. But I just feel like the the questions that you ask yourself as you go along kind of bog the story down a little bit. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So I guess we'll get into the third. A uh, little segment here. So he ends up being found out that he's an imposter of some sort and runs out of the gangster's uh, apartment uh, being chased by a few guys. And uh, he runs down an alley and he's kind of at a dead end and he's trying to figure out he needs a face to look at to change into. And he sees a poster for a boxer by the name of Andy Marshak. And uh, he kind of he stares at it and uh, he turns around and of course, he looks like the boxer, so the gangster's are like, oh, sorry, we thought you were someone else. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is where, after he walks out of the alley, he runs into uh, Mr. Marshak, which is the boxer's dad, uh, played by Peter Bracco. He runs into him, and he's like, oh, my God, Andy, you don't remember me? Like, And it turns out that it is his father, and uh, he tells him how he ran out on the family and everything, and how he's so upset with his son and he's not he's not actually his son anymore he's disowning him and everything and uh you can tell that arch is a little bit uh taken back by it like uh what did i get myself into with this one you yeah. know um so he he ends up leaving him and walking away and uh thinks that's all over with so he goes back to his uh hotel room 
which a detective then comes in and picks him up for questioning. Which did <laughs> did they say why he was being taken in? Um, I think they did. Uh, I because he, he, he said, well, basically, the detective said, "You're Arch Hammer. You got to come with me." Like ba- basically, you get the idea that that this detective knows what this guy's capable of doing. He, he he may not know physically what he's capable of doing, but know he's left a wake of crime and his in, in you know like where he's went. So he got tracked down, um, which leads to even though I don't know if it's supposed to be as funny as it is, but I really enjoyed like the like again, this is the guy, same guy that goes on to be in Batman 66 as a detective, right? Um yeah. like uh, so he leaves the hotel and then as they're Here's going through the revolving door to like nutty <laughs> professor and stuff, so yeah. Yeah. As they're leaving the going through the revolving door, suddenly uh Arch turns back into uh the boxer and steps out of the revolving door and the guy's like, "But but but but." And I'm like, "Really? That's going to be your response to all that?" Like you physically saw him there. There was not a second guy that came in. Like, you know, this guy's capable of evading the law and he just kind of let it go. Like it was kind of, it was, it was just really funny, but it was also kind of weird. Yeah. And he goes running into the police station to go and find him. It's like, if, if, uh, Arch was running away, like, why would he run into the police station? He would have ran out in the way. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> just, I don't know. Weird situation, but the revolving door gag is pretty funny. It was funny, you know, and he's uh, like, did you just see another guy? come out of there and he's like no nope. <laughs> he's like oh okay and just ran back into the police station <laughs> i love it it's fun um, um yeah so yeah at this point i guess we'll get into the uh i guess the twist i don't i don't know if it's really a twist but uh the ending here which spoiler alert he walks back to the street and he bumps into marshak's father which he, again he looks like the boxer andy marshak and uh his father pulls a gun on him and uh, he tries to change back, but before he can change, he gets shot. And uh, which leads uh, to a very fun, like not fun, I guess is not the right word, but a very cool, such a like, such a good time. No, yeah, it's, he's dying, so it's so much fun. But I mean, like it's a like how do you how do you show that he's flipping back and forth between these different looks? And you know, in 1960, when you're shooting this for television, you do it with these like these uh, like waterfall wipes, right? And, yeah. and and it's very like soap opery, but I liked it how it's like he like because now you would just use CG and it would be a quick like you know it'd be like Bruce Campbell in Army of Darkness like whipping his head around you know back and forth and you'd, you'd stop and see a different face. But with this, it was like you got the same idea that as he's dying, he can't he can't be himself and he's trying to go through all of this, trying to find a way out. And then he is just arch hammer at the end. And that was, I thought that was a really cool like sequence just because like you got like his, um, his ability was kind of not shorting out, but he was reaching for any, any way out. And his only way out was just to be himself and die, you know? And yeah. I, I thought that but, was kind of cool. I, I have two things with the ending here. The closing narration is a great, you know, the opening narration was a little bit verbose, but <laughs> it's okay. Uh, the closing narration just is fantastic how it ties everything up where he pretty much names off all of them. Hammer, Foster, Sterig, uh, Marshak, all four of them were dying. You know, like it, it's such a nice little bow at the end of this episode with that, especially with the title and everything. And then you got the camera kind of tilts up towards the neons again and at the roofs and then it goes up to the roof and shows uh the new york skyline and then goes up to the stars and ends out into the twilight zone credits you know and it was like it was such a beautiful kind of like nice slow ending you know i I don't know how to describe it but it was just uh it, it it felt different from a lot of the other 
Twilight Zone endings where it didn't feel abrupt or anything. It was just it was a very it gave you time to kind of contemplate. Yeah, on it, what just happened, you know, as as it went up to the stars back into the Twilight Zone realm. No, and you're right. Like I like that. And also, the fact that he died out front of the hotel, real, real. Yeah, like it just felt like he as his real yeah. identity and everything. Yeah, like, and it, yeah. It's just it was a nice little bow. Like I said, that's that's the only way I can describe the ending of this. It was just like and tied tied up nicely for you. Yeah. So I mean, this may not be like one of my favorite episodes that we've seen so far, but I appreciate the um, the style choices, the thought that went into it. And just the idea of it, I don't know if the execution of the character and what he wanted to do was that well laid out, but everything else was great. Yeah. I mean, this is a difficult one to do in 1960. You know, like today, I'm sure you could do it a lot more uh, convincingly, of course. But um, Or you could just yeah, watch th- Darkman. You know, that would that's also... True. That's very true. <laughs> Which then, oh. again, how did he have the voices of everybody? But whatever. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, know, um, you just, you just uh, 3D print the faces and you're good. But uh, all right. So again, definitely. Yeah. De- like like you said, I guess we'll get into rating and then we'll kind of give our closing thoughts. Yeah. So real quick, though, I just want to mention uh, some of the neon signs and different signs. He's walking around. Uh, one of them said chit chat, delightful girls nightly, including Bam Girl. I thought that was kind of funny. And then at the Skylight Room, Buck yeah. Winston is opening tonight. Just wanted you to know that. Um, so. Uh, and then also how Maggie shut down that guy at the bar. I thought that was kind of funny how this poor drunk guy was trying to hit on the singer and she just shut him down. <laughs> yeah. Um, about that. yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, before we get to the twist though, I just want to mention here real quick, this was shot, sorry, this aired January 1st, 1960. Uh, the chameleon, which is one of Spider-Man's like more famous, not famous, but longstanding villains first appeared in amazing Spider-Man one in March, 1963. So the fact that there was a villain that um, could change his, his face at will um, was something that ended up becoming a major adversary for Spider-Man, which is not too far away. So it makes you wonder, like, the whole idea of, like, what is identity and what is perception was a lot different then because there isn't – it was a lot harder to have a paper trail to follow if people didn't want it back then. So yeah. that, that's interesting to me. Then also, too, uh, Don Draper in Mad Men – um, not to go, that's another fictional story, but also set in the uh, late fifties, early sixties. He took the identity of a soldier during the Korea war, um, so that he could have a better life. Cause his original name was, um, uh, something, what was it? Uh, something, uh, Dick Whitman, I think it was his name originally. And then there was a soldier that died over there and he took his dog tags and became Don Draper and no one questioned it. And he mm-hmm. separated himself from his previous poor reality and went on to go to New York and become like a famous ad man. Um, so the whole idea then of just like you, just because you're where you're at doesn't mean that's where you need to go. But the idea that you could just completely change your identity and no one can question it because there's no way to verify it is very interesting for that time. Yeah. So. And it's something that uh, does not resonate these days. Yeah. Because it's uh, damn near impossible to disappear you know <laughs> no you're right so i thought that was interesting that like the chameleon which was created by stan lee at that time was very yeah. much like you know you never knew and the way spider-man figured out the chameleon was the chameleon at the in the first uh issue was because he took the the um um the image of peter parker and spider-man realized like that can't be me 
you know, and that's how I figured out who the chameleon was. Uh, yeah. and I'm sure as it is now, you know, it's a, it's a fantasy of a lot of people just kind of disappear, you know, just pick up and go somewhere new and start over. And I'm, I'm sure back then, especially it was a, it was a big fantasy for a lot of people. Well, even driver's license back then didn't have photos. They were typed yeah, up. Exactly. So, I mean, like, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people did it. And I'm sure a lot of people thought about it back then. So. Well, and then and then also before we get to the twist here, there was that brief aside that uh, Arch had Archie had outside the jazz club when he switched from Johnny back to himself, and he's like, "Why don't?" He's like, "Why not? Why can't I have love?" It felt very Bogart, like it had like a really weird, like film noir, like brief aside, lighting a cigarette, talking to himself. And it was yeah. very much like, why can't I have that? You know, and it yeah, was well, like, we brought up the German expressionism again, but again, this episode very heavily influenced by film noir. And uh, it, it was really cool seeing those two worlds kind of collide in this episode. Yeah. So, um, all right, yeah, let's just, we'll just go ahead and we'll get to the twist. I'm giving this a two. Um, because uh, the whole idea that one of his identities would end up leading to his demise didn't seem that surprising to me, and I don't know if it would be that surprising to an audience back then either. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I gave it a two as well. Yeah, as soon as you see uh, Mr. Marshak come out and you see the look in his eye, and I'm going to give that credit to that actor because as soon as I saw the look in his eye, I was like, ah, he's going to kill him. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen this episode before, but I was like, yeah, he's going to kill him. Like, and kudos to uh peter brocco because like i got that just from the crazy look in his eye like it was a really good performance from him um again two out of five that's on the uh quote-unquote twist for the episode i really enjoyed this episode as a whole though um problems and all like if if you can go along with the story if you can just believe for the 20 minutes that you're watching this that he can change his face like that that he can uh change his voice you know it's forget that he wouldn't know all that stuff about the people like it's entertaining yeah absolutely again like it has style for days like there's so much style to make up for any story issues in this um yeah it's it's a lot of fun yeah and also just want to mention here real quickly cigarette count nine cigarettes two mirror cigarettes i just like i figured i just throw that in there too so you had regular cigarettes than ones that were in mirrors so that was a lot of cigarettes um it feels like not as many as um, and when the sky opened, but it was still a lot of smoking. So, um, all right. So, uh, speaking of when the sky opened, uh, I think it's what it's called. I probably got that wrong. Next episode is Third from the Sun, which is also based off of Richard Matheson's story. Yeah. Uh, pretty excited. We're looking to have a guest on it. Uh, have not squared away that, so I'm not going to announce it yet, but pay attention to the facebook great segue <laughs> you should you, can you should totally call facebook. them out on it you should call them out on it and be like no they're coming and so that way they have to feel pressure to be on the show and just uh, be like people have lives so you know like <laughs> uh, just, uh, we're not gonna lie steven spielberg steven spielberg's gonna be on the show we're gonna pressure yeah. him on it no like <laughs> um james gunn told us he was coming on so <laughs> yeah um, um but yeah yeah but we might have a guest um yeah, like I said, pay attention to the Facebook, and you can always like us on Facebook, uh, posting some fun stuff on there, and you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com, and what else am I missing? Go um, on iTunes, rate and review us. And Stitcher as well, um, please. Yes, and Stitcher. Because I feel like... Um, 
like I really like this whole. I mean, of course we're doing because of course we like it, but I, I love the idea that we're taking something and just watching it and you know in sequence and talking about it. And I feel like people like right now in the world of binge watching. Like, I think this is a great opportunity just to join us and, and also join the conversation. So please like, you know, if you like this, tell somebody else about it, rate us. Um, you know, we may not be the first to talk about the Twilight Zone, but I think we could have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. And, uh, like our, uh, buddy El Goro said, everybody's got an opinion and everybody sees things different ways. So, you know, even if somebody else has talked about it to death, Hey, we're not that same person. So. Yeah, um, and we'd like to hear what you have to say as well because you could be reading some of these episodes completely different than what we are um, yeah so hopefully we'll have a guest on next one one thing I wanted to say about this episode I never got to uh, Arch Hammer uh, are you familiar with the character Mike Hammer <laughs> you mean from uh, though that was Stacy Keach right was that Mike Hammer yeah okay um, that was based on a book from 1947 there was a series of detective novels I- yeah yeah so um first book was i the jury came out in 1947 so i don't know like hmm. i feel like he may have gotten the hammer name from that it makes me feel like this, yeah. being that like hard edge crime style to this like i feel like he may have pulled the name from it but yeah a little late on that one sorry it was <laughs> no, at I the feel top like... of my notes under the air date so no, <laughs> i no. totally ran over it that's funny i feel like serling was a, like a pop culture sponge I feel like oh, he yeah. absorbed everything and then just made it his own. And I feel like yeah, he was very much ahead. Stuff we missed just being so far removed from it. You know, yeah, there's stuff that was super popular for like a few years back then that we probably have no idea about <laughs> right now, you know, <laughs> that he may have had uh, references in the episode. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, next week, uh, sorry, not next week, next episode, we'll, we'll figure out when we're doing it. So I apologize. It's the summer and we're busy and, uh, and I'm getting married in like five weeks, so it's it's getting a little crazy right now. So um, third from the sun, Richard Matheson. I, I have seen this because I was prepping for the next episode. I am curious to hear what Kevin will have to say about it because um, I think there's some great and then some not so great. So we'll talk about that next time. Um, but yeah, like I look forward to that. Um, yeah, but in the meantime, have enjoy your summer. Like I know we're talking about New Year's Day, but it's still hot out. Enjoy the summer while you got it. And don't go conning people for love and for mobster money, because that just seems like that would not be a good way to be. Do you say lobster money? <laughs> you can con people out for lobster money and be like, I need my cheddar biscuits from Red Lobster. I need some money for that. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to see that episode. <laughs> that You know what, though? Ultimately, that feels like that's a better endgame for him than what he was doing. He's like, I just need to get some some money for some cheddar biscuits because I, I don't know what he was doing. I'm going to leave this girl at a train station and get some cheddar money. So um, anyway, that'll, that'll do it for me and for Kevin. Uh, any, like, I don't know. I got, I got nothing. Uh, this was a fun yeah, episode. Thanks for listening, guys. Again, check us out on Facebook, iTunes, and Stitcher. And uh, we appreciate it. <laughs> Hey, sports, unravel the flesh. Come on, Mag, have a little drink. I'd love one. Oh, good. Wait Very, very solitary. All by my lonesome, if you don't mind. Oh.